Hey everyone, this is your host, Gans, and welcome to another episode of the Seed Table Podcast, where we try to make sense of what is going on in European technology. My guest today is Erika Batista. Erika is the head of EMEA at OnDeck, previously founding team and director of the family, an incredible connector and one of the kindest humans I know. I've been meaning to get Erika on the podcast for a while, and I finally found an excuse. Today, we're doing something different though. We're jamming for an hour on Atomico's State of European Tech Report. So instead of doing a long intro, we're going to dive straight into it. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Erika, thank you so much for coming on the Seed Table podcast. Uh, it's a bit of a weird situation, but I'll take it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the State of European Tech Report. So welcome, Erika. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's let's kick things off. What were you thinking uh, coming into the report? Uh, like, And what was your initial reaction after reading it? Okay, so first of all, can we talk about how beautiful the report is? Like, <laughs> <laughs> there was some clearly heavy investment in storytelling and design. Honestly, like the first uh, part of the of the report when you're just scrolling down and like there's a story of the storm and then the sun. I literally got chills. Like I'm not even lying. <laughs> it was it was so well done. Yeah, uh, absolutely. My my initial reaction was like, holy shit, this incredible work. Uh, not only the design, but also sort of the, the data, but also how the Atomico team is able to sort of build a very, very compelling narrative uh, about what's going on, not only this year, all, but like the past decade, right? So yep. yeah, that was sort of my initial reaction, like, holy shit. Yeah, and it was also like, right, like I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, we did have like our, an idea of what's going on in the ecosystem, because we have seen like the fundraising and we, and we have seen, you know, entrepreneurs, some, some companies have didn't make it. Some companies have thriving. So we kind of knew that which direction things were headed. But, you know, when you look at the numbers and you see that the kind of the, when the expectation that you had for this year, it's got, it's confirmed with the data. It's a, it's a very, it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, particularly because, you know, at the end of 2019, European tech was in its sort of strongest position ever. And then COVID came and then threatened access to capital, forced people or some companies to pivot. It jeopardized sales and it essentially put everyone in sort of like this stencil mode, sort of like, let's wait and see what happens. <laughs> Back then, let's say like, I think March or, or April, I thought, damn, Atomic was going to have a, like a very fun challenge on their hands in November when working on, on this thing. But apparently, like it's it's working out for for them and also working out for us, I guess, right? Money, yeah. like at the beginning of the year, money raised didn't look great. IPOs didn't look great. Sort of talent flows didn't look great. But we weathered the storm, I think. Like European tech grew grew massively, and we've been resilient, which was my my biggest fear, right? What are the sort of the long lasting damages that we're going to see in the ecosystem thanks to this pandemic? But I think those fears are over right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was actually thinking about, and, and because something that I've been saying this entire year is that let's not forget that venture funds, they've already raised the money that they, they are going to invest. So whatever happens, they're going to have to find companies um, to invest that money in. What I really wanted to see in this report was 
the amount of money that have has been raised by by VC funds from LPs. And and you know that on that front we also got good news where you know there were some I, I think it, there was some improvement. But either way, there is some optimism from LPs in terms of the you know COVID nineteen crisis. Yeah, absolutely. I think September was the highest month on record for companies raising capital with about $5 billion. We're also seeing more capital raise from funds. We're also seeing that the flow from U.S. and Chinese money isn't over. So 2019, that was sort of the highest sort of point on record uh, on international capital flowing into European tech. And this sort of hasn't stopped, particularly for big, big uh, rounds. I think the number for sort of capital raised by the ecosystem this year has the potential to reach like 41 billion and that that's our highest point ever. So I know it's, all in all, I'm pretty sort of bullish on your, well, not pretty, I'm very bullish on your. Side, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have no choice, right? Otherwise <laughs> have to move to another country, a continent, but um, yeah, yeah. what's yeah. the sort of the phrase, like you want, um, People want to understand it, something that depends on their paycheck, sort of not understanding it or something like that. Uh, mm. So, yeah, we have to be we have to be bullish on European tech. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of other continents, just a small comment that, you know, the report did mention tech is having a remarkable moment all over the world, including Latin America and Africa, you know, helping to drive record level, levels of investments in the in the rest of the world. So. It's, it's, you know, what we've been seeing in Europe in the past 10 years, I believe that we'll see the similar, a similar path, similar growth in other areas of the world, which is really exciting too. Yeah. What's sort of your favorite ecosystem outside Europe? Uh, well, I have, I have to say Latin America because <laughs> that's where I'm from <laughs> and, and you as well. But, you know, yep. this is, we, we talked about this on the other podcast that, that we did together with Eric. Torenberg, you know, in, in Latin America, people are often entrepreneurial because they have no choice. There are no unemployment benefits, no safety net. And in terms of education, people, a lot of people go to school to study something, you know, like uh, law or accounting or architecture. And just they end up doing something completely different, like influencer or, you know, party planner. And so it's it's really, yeah, it's really common to have a lot of uh, side hustles. And when you, when you, mix that entrepreneurial culture with you know the the means to 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 take it further and to you know bring some ambition into into the mix then you know what can happen is magical yeah absolutely absolutely i'm i'm, I'm fascinated by how sort of emergent ecosystems sort of grow on the basis of solving their own sort of very complex problems so i think what's the company that was that was acquired by stripe in africa that was essentially stripe by africa right those sort of problems that we don't see in Europe or in the US are very, very sort of top of mind. And I think like the perfect example of this is Mercado Libre in, in Latin America, right? They've yeah. grown by force of solving this very complex problems like payments and logistics. So I know we're very bullish on sort of tech as a whole, but let's, let's go back to Europe then, like enough of sort of world travel, but that's the <laughs> most I've traveled this year. So same, same, same. Yeah. So one thing that amazed me is the total value of private tech companies and how that 5xed over the next over the past four years. So in 2016, the total value of private tech companies in Europe was about 130 billion. And right now it's almost uh, 600. And this year we saw like 18 new unicorns. Think, I don't know, uh, Kasu, Hopin, Lilium, Tier, Revolut, 
What's your first impression on that? Well, first of all, the Hopin uh, case is very interesting because they broke a record of like the, the fastest path to one billion valuation. And what's interesting with those kind of cases is that once someone does it, like everybody, everybody does it as well. And and yeah, I think we'll see more of that. So I, I think it's super exciting. And and you know, it's 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 exciting also to see that happen with a company that is very emblematic of of the time that we are living now with with remote and everything happening virtually. One one thing uh, I thought it was curious is that it's very interesting how sort of great companies can come from anywhere. And that has never been more, more true. We sort of, I think the, the data on the report is like 40 European towns and cities have yes. now produced unicorns, like, like 24 countries. But also what's curious is that companies like Hopping are now being started in Europe, right? When a decade ago, those companies would have been started in Silicon Valley, right? But sort of some of the coolest companies that come out that that, that came out of, of the pandemic are European, and sort of that's something to be proud of, I think. And you know what? Uh, maybe we're you know jumping from one topic to another, but that kind of reminds me of. Did you see the flywheel? The European yes. flywheel. <laughs> yes, yes, a hundred percent. I'm a big fan of flywheels. We are. I'm a big all. fan of, of loops. Yeah, we're all right, right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So I find it interesting that at the center of that flywheel, they have, you know, value, which is obviously a very concrete aspect of, you know, the European ecosystem growing, but there was also the mindset. And I think the mindset is, you know, if anything, it's, it's one of the, I think it's most important one. There can be one without the other, of course, but ultimately without ambition is, is how do you go and find the capital? How do you go in and create value if you don't have that ambition? So like, that's where you start. And I think that that's what has has changed. You know, other founders have opened the way for for European founders to be able to to create uh, billion dollar companies from here. And I think that once once we've done it, there's a clear path to it. There's their role models, and and we just ha- you know we have the confidence to do it, which we didn't have before. And that's why people went to Silicon Valley to kind of emulate and be surrounded by that. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like going back to the flywheel and I'm going to read it in a bit just so you sort of get a sense of what that flywheel is. But one of the steps is tech entrepreneurship is the default path, right? So that's the mindset thing. Not only about thinking about, oh, I can go work in finance or academia or research or consulting. I can actually go start a company and that's sort of acceptable in Europe now, or at least more and more, uh, and definitely more than 10, 10 years ago. Sort of the flywheel goes something like, and I'm going to sort of read it verbatim, but success stories and role models inspire and raise the bar for a new generation of founders and builders and investors. That sort of what that does is it makes tech entrepreneurship the default path, which generates better ideas and better companies, which attracts world-class investors. And this unlocks talent and capital and sort of that spins over and over again. And what creates is value, GDP, jobs, impact, and then mindset, which is what you were describing which is mostly uh, or ambition and confidence, or that's how it's it's sort of defined on the flywheel. And it's very cool because I think, first, I'm jealous. I I wish I, I, I could have yeah, came up with that because sort of that's my thing, right? <laughs> right, I'm a European tech. But kudos to, to Tom and to the team for creating something uh, like that so clearly illustrates uh, sort of the dynamics of European tech. Yeah, I agree. They manage to, they do an incredible job of gathering the data and having it tell a story that feels, you know, faithful to, to what the data is showing. You know, it's not just a bunch of numbers. It is actually both informing 
And as you said, you said something in the other conversation we had was I thought was really on point. You know, we have a, a, a single narrative for the European tech ecosystem. And it's both telling the story and pushing us forward and showing the way of, of the challenges that we need to overcome. Yeah, I think of sort of the state of European tech report as the ultimate source of truth for European tech. So that's my mental model for it. So we were talking about sort of the value of private tech companies and unicorns. Do you have any sort of favorite companies, any favorite unicorns? I, I love TransferWise for a lot of reasons. First, because it, it comes from, you know, you know, this uh, Estonia, which is, if, I don't know if you know, if you saw on the, on the graph, it's one of the most entrepreneurial countries in Europe. If you take the per capita, you know, number of entrepreneurs uh, in relation to 1 million uh, people, it's, it's really incredible. The fact of what they've done with the e-residency, with just helping people be digital and, and working and doing business in Europe. And, and also the, the, the product is something that speaks to my personal experience because as I am from the Dominican Republic and as an immigrant, you know, everybody who's, who's you know, coming from a developing country, we send money back home, right? Because we have family that needs it or it's like, it's a common thing. And actually I think in the Dominican Republic, which is where I come from, I think that remittances is like 30% of the GDP. And so, you know, I've been waiting for transfer lines <laughs> to, to be available in the Dominican Republic. I don't think it is yet. In the meantime, you know, it's a Western mm -hmm. Union that's taking all my money, but, but, you know, it's really, I, I find that really exciting to have a company like that come from Europe. Yeah, Estonia is the highest number of startups per capita, by far. And then I think the highest number of unicorns per capita, closely challenged by, by Israel, I think. Mm. But I don't have the data on that, but definitely uh, Estonia. I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Tallinn. Not only it's a wonderful city, just as a city, but it's, it definitely punches above uh, its own weight when it comes to, to technology, right? And I think that's... A big part of that is when they had to rebuild the country in the 90s after their yeah. independence, they, they sort of started thinking from first principles. Okay, what does a country should look like for the sort of the 21st century? The answer to that was the internet, right? And there's so many things are downstream from that decision that mm -hmm. it's, it's insane, right? For, for, <laughs> for someone from Argentina who, who lived in Italy, France, and Spain, just... The fact that you can actually like vote online or just transfer cars online in a couple of clicks, it's, to me, it's just magical. It's just mind-blowing. Uh, this yeah. That's something that, that should take weeks. It feels like the country of the future, to be honest. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. And yeah. what about you? Like, same question. What was your... I'm, I just love Lilium for some reason. I think it's the nerd in me, right, that likes flying taxis. But what I, what I really like about Lilium is... They're this moonshot, right? They're they actually sort of building like flying taxis, uh, which is just insane. And they look so, so cool. But it's not about the technology, but how they're thinking about applying it, right? So they're, they, they just not want to be like a tech company. They want to be like the Uber for sort of uh, medium length transportation from, let's say, 30 kilometers to 300 kilometers. So they, they not only want to build the technology, but also sort of the transportation network, which is insane. And also, like, if, if something like that actually works, like, you could live, I don't know, 300 kilometers from Paris and just uh, commute there in 20 minutes. So 
that would completely change the dynamics of what a city means. Uh, mm -hmm. It would it would sort of move power away from specific like financial centers to let's say complete regions. So I know I think that's one of my favorite companies. I'm I'm, I'm rooting for them to succeed. Of course, it's incredibly hard and incredibly challenging problem. I also really like that they are sort of based out of uh, Munich, right? It's not a big big tech hub or less one of those sort of the tech hubs that we would think of. But this sort of speaks to the the idea that we were mentioning that great companies can come from anywhere, right? Yeah. What do you think that is that now like sort of 40 towns and cities have unicorns right now? And that, that number was much, much smaller like five years ago. I think that number was like 12 or something. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's, I, I, wait, I wonder how many of those 40 companies were in the in the past year first of all but i guess that it has been you know a trickle effect of it's something that the report kind of talks about as well the fact that you know that there's the three main hubs in europe which you know are london paris and 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 well germany we'll say berlin but it's more germany because it's it's not as centralized as, as as france and and then the other countries have so much room to catch up and they've been doing so in the past in the past couple of years but i think that's that's the reason why you know there's just i guess a lot of it's a mix of different things i think that a lot of the deals in this main hubs are getting really competitive so people are looking outside of those and 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 just covid has accelerated all of that because it is the same like talking to a founder that lives in your city versus a founder that lives you know in in a different country, it, it, it is it is more or less the same. Yeah. I think the other thing is also, of course, the mindset is one, but also access to capital. Like yeah. more and more money is being raised by funds all over Europe. And one thing that the report mentioned is that so for rounds of less than two million, so let's say early stage rounds, most of the money is local, right? So if you're a company based out of Krakow, then that money comes from someone like Innovation Nest, right? So local money. But then once you move past that sort of two million threshold, the money starts to become international, right? And you go to London and try to raise from Atomic or USA, right? Something like that. Or maybe internationally, let's say from the US. So I think that this availability of, of capital all over Europe is, is sort of very important and it's helping sort of those second and third tier hubs develop. Yeah. And speaking of capital, I feel like every Atomico report starts with liquidity. <laughs> we need liquidity. <laughs> I think that is, you know, like the, I don't, I don't want to say like the boy who cried wolf because it's it's very true that we need liquidity, but I feel like every Every report starts like that, you know, just big disclaimer, we need more acquisitions, we need more IPOs. What do you think about that? Great question. I I think they're mostly right. When I think about liquidity, though, I only think about capital. I also think about talent, right? How can we recycle talent? So yes, sort of having those exits and, and IPOs that generate sort of the incentives to actually build companies at the early stages, but also sort of provide expertise and capital to all the operators who, who who worked at those companies. So in my mind, ideally, like uh, an IPO would not only generate like a bunch of millionaires out of the founders, but also from like the early team. And then that early team goes and starts their own companies or invests in other companies. So in that sense, I think Europe needs more of that. And we don't really need to get anxious, right? We're seeing that this flywheel is starting to spin further and further. Like, 
Companies like Spotify are now over 50 billion. Then companies like Klarna and UiPath are over 10 billion. Mm -hmm. Like a while ago, we're thinking, oh, when's the next sort of 10 billion euro company going to come out? And now what we're seeing is, oh, no, no, no. Like the next milestone is 100 million, right? We're way past that 10 billion thing, right? It's, it's not even relevant at this point. So Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That... and speaking of talent, you know, and, and pulling talent into the ecosystem, we were we were featured uh, on deck, was featured on the <laughs> on the report, yes. which is really cool. And that is something that I have been saying as well, you know, that something like Ondeck could not have existed in the ecosystem four or five years ago because we didn't have enough, you know, mature, experienced talent, you know, building their own companies after having been, you know, building for success or having been early employees at, at a big success in, in Europe. And, and so really excited to, to, have, to be featured for, for the first time. Right. And for those who don't know, so what's, what's on deck and what's your role over there? So on deck is... Over here, I'd say. Over here, over there. <laughs> yeah. So on deck is, is basically, it's a place where top tech talent goes to explore what's next. That's kind of the big picture. But the way we do that is through different programs that, you know, tie the power of community with learning. So basically, if your next thing is, you know, building a, a, new, a new company, you can do our founders program where you can explore ideas and build with other people who are also on top of their game and experts in their field. We have also, you know, a program for if you're, if you're for example, a company that has raised uh, 1.5 million and who is you know killing it but you want to take it further or you want to work on yourself get coaching peer mentoring from other founders or learn from you know top vps from from amazing companies and you can do the six months program that's called on scale and same for for example if you want to start a writing practice and learn you know from other people on how you know they they do they, they actually get accountability how they monetize distribute and all that, then we have the Undeck Writers Program. And like that, we have launched, I think, 10 different programs this year. Has yeah. been very intense. And, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, basically, if, if, you, if you are somebody with potential and you are, you know, starting or building on something that you already have, we most likely will have a program that you're a good fit for. Yeah. Yeah. One of the programs that we launched recently is Climate Tech. And yeah. I'm saying this because... I sort of want to weave us into sort of the, the climate tech part of the report. And that is because purpose-driven European tech entrepreneurs are raising record amount of money to solve some of the biggest problems uh, in the world. And, and the sort of the top of the list is crowned by climate tech. So what's your read on that? And what do you think that's happening? I think it's really exciting, obviously, for many reasons. But, you know, Europe has some of the most biggest amount of scientists, more than the US. And there is a lot of, I mean, we've been talking about it. And, you know, before we would talk about the fact that Europeans are mission-driven as a kind of a liability in a way, because of that, the fact that we are mission-driven, it means that people don't like to make money, right? We are in it to save the world and not necessarily to increase uh, the top line and, and et cetera. So I think that, you know, that, that if you mix that with this newfound ambition that has been growing in the past couple of years, you know, tie that with, with capital that is available, we really have an opportunity to, to fix this, you know, and to, to play a key role in doing that at least. And so that's why I'm really excited about cl our climate fellowship 
because it's um it's a very unique program. It's the first time we try something like this, but the, our climate fellowship is going to be more of a kind of a think tank, think tank where people are going to come together to work on ideas. And there, it's, there's going to be, you know, some of the top experts in the world mixed with investors, with founders and, and all, you know, trying to trying to find the best ideas and, and, and work together. Yeah, yeah, I think sort of with climate is well, one of the problems is that there's this like two very separate worlds right now. One is sort of the experts, policies, researchers, scientists, the people who have been in space for for the past decade, right? And now we're seeing this influx of entrepreneurs very, very keen on solving this this problem because it's really one of the paramount issues of our time, right? Mm-hmm. And this sort of two camps are, are separate. So the, I think the Climate Tech Fellowship, what it tries to do is to sort of bridge the gap between the two, right? There are like two separate islands and we sort of need to, to, to get them together and then like really cool shit should happen when you bring those two people together. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. And there's, there's been, you know, super exciting as well that there were 11 billion raised for, for climate action companies. So, so that's really whoa. cool. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. That's, that's, that's a significant percentage of the total capital raised by the entire <laughs> ecosystem. So yeah, we better solve this problem. Agreed. Let's... And you know, speaking of problems, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a big part of the report is focused on the very important topic of diversity in tech. You know, I found it really exciting as, as you know, many years we've, we've talked about diversity in tech, but more of an, with an angle of gender diversity. And, you know, while I found out that, 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 that there's no comparison, like, let's not create like hierarchies of, of debate. But uh, the, the, the thing is, like, women, we are underrepresented in tech, but in the population, we are not a minority. Right. And, and, and what we've seen is with, with you know, black and Caribbean and Afro-descendant founders is that there is there's just been such a discrimination in terms of the funds that they received and and the and the amount of opportunities that that you know as a group they can get in in tech i find it really you know positive that we are having that conversation yeah. for the first time i think in this report yeah yeah i think so last year's report they highlighted mostly the sort of the gender diversity mm-hmm. issues and they said like yeah we're doing a slightly better job than last year but it's definitely not enough and now this year is the first time that sort of diversity it's not about gender, but also about race and sort of socioeconomic backgrounds and age and a bunch of other stuff. And I think that sort of it's great that we're having this sort of more comprehensive conversation on the topic. My, the problem to me is that, or not the problem with the report per se, but really with the ecosystem, is that mm-hmm. it's clear that diversity took a backseat due to the pandemic, yeah. which really comes to say how we think about diversity, right? It's mm-hmm. not yet a core issue, but some something that some people might do just for the headlines, maybe, or just um, like one small thing to fix among other things, but it's not really that, right? It's it's like we, we often talk about companies and ecosystems and, and policy makers and the EU commission and, and, and investors, but they're really people, right? Uh, we just call like this organization's names, right? Yeah. So it's like who those people are is really core to the ecosystem and it should never take a backseat, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I find it also exciting that, you know, outside of the report, there's there's also been, you know, for example, like this year I participated in this conference called Black Tech Fest, which is organized by Coloring Tech in the UK. And, you know, I love to see those kind of initiatives and I hope there will be more of that, you know, just creating 
creating spaces for for people of color and 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 more you know opportunities and i love this you know the the somebody who said on on twitter and I, i've seen this a couple of times so i'm not gonna like quote a direct person but you know like people think that that people of color need mentoring, but what they actually need is funding, you know? And so I would love to see more initiatives in that in that direction in the coming year. I think the the percentage of funding that went to all black teams, I think it was in the UK, not in Europe, but uh, we can correct that later. But I think it was like 0.02% of total capital raise went to all black teams, mm. which is just insane because I'm sure like, Tech is not 0.02% black. Uh, yep, yep, yep. So, I agree. Yeah. Yep. yeah. We problem. can do better, you know. <laughs> Let's do better. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, and this is sort of like definitely not an excuse for Europe, but I'm wondering sort of what the US numbers are. I, I think they're, they're quite, probably quite similar. And and yeah, that's uh, that's also what, why I, I'm, you know, excited to to you know, it's going to be a difficult conversation and there's certainly like a lot of similarities with the U.S. and a lot of things that are different because we have our own store history, you know, and, but, but I think that it, it is an important conversation to have and, and we need to, you know, find out what, it, what are the things that define us? What are the problems that we have? What are our own set of challenges, you know? And uh, yeah, so. Yeah. But, but kudos to, to sort of, to Atomico for bringing for, this in and, and for starting the conversation yeah, for calling it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy, right? It's not easy, particularly when sort of you have everything to lose and nothing to gain for this, from this. So mm -hmm. definitely kudos, kudos to them. So you're sitting in Paris right now in your kitchen, I think. So mm -hmm. maybe let's talk a bit about that. I think France <laughs> is the only. <laughs> well, it looks it looks great. So Thank maybe you. we can spend a few minutes on your kitchen. Um, so France is the only one of the like three largest markets to grow in 2020. What's what's your read on that? Since you are based in Paris, it does feel like it corresponds to the reality that we've been seeing on the ground. So what I've heard from my investor friends this year is that. Rounds have gotten crazy competitive. There's so many founders um, that are raising pre-seeds, like a pre-seed round, you know, raising money before you launch a product has, was, you know, unheard of three or four years ago, maybe. It started to happen with founders, like, and, and, and in very strategic cases, for example, like the, the founder of, of Captain Train, which, you know, then became Trainline, he, he launched a bank. So literally he needed to raise funds before being able to, to launch the product because there was a lot of regulation and a lot of capital needed in order to, 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 you know, to launch that. But now we're seeing it with people who, who just say, you know, I, I, I want to race, I want to race now because, you know, I can. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we've been seeing. And so it, I'm not surprised that, that the market grew. I, I just, actually, this is, this is something that I've been seeing for maybe two or three years, uh, this trend of like Paris growing really fast. So like, I'm, I'm just, you know, happy that the data reflects what, what we've been seeing on the ground. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So last year I made some predictions and I put some money online. And one of my predictions was that Paris was going to be the sort of the big winner. In a sense, I got lucky, right? Because I like, like the prediction is right, just for the completely wrong reasons, right? I, I never in a million years imagined we would have a sort of a global pandemic when I wrote those predictions in in. in I think it was like December 2019, 2019, yeah, 2019. So 
One of the things that's fascinating about France and French tech is the support of the government. So there are a million of examples like the French tech visa, which is great. And the other one, uh, or one that comes to mind right now, is the sort of the 4 billion COVID relief fund for startups that the government put out earlier this year. Uh, those things make a lot of headlines. Uh, they're big, big in tech crunch, right? But are you seeing the impact on the ground or is it mostly headlines? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. And it, it kind of ties into one of the key takeaways from the report, which was about you know, government institutions and, and regulations. And we can get to that after. But in the case of France, the, I think that the, those programs have had a really significant impact in, in startups, especially the, the, the French tech visa. It has been a game changer for French startups. And I will say this, like it took a while to actually implement it. Like in the beginning, maybe there was some negative feedback because it was like the government made the announcement, but the people doing the actual job, they didn't get the memo. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I actually know of people who tried to you know, get the visa through that program and, 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 and couldn't, couldn't do it in the beginning. But then once that was, you know, up and running, it has it has truly really helped companies hire talent from all over the world and bring it to Paris. And obviously, Paris is not a hard sell for people <laughs> abroad, you know, in terms of, you know, where, where they want to live and where they want, want to have a good quality of life. And then in terms of, you know, there's a, the BPI that has been doing loans to startups for, for many years now. And, you know, with the with the. Also, you know, and not only for startups, but with the COVID relief initiatives by the government, it has truly also been a game changer for companies because basically the government is bailing them out, you know, if they have to put employees on furlough and there has been no amount, you know, no expense that has been, you know, saved in terms of, of the effort that the government is doing to, to, to keep companies from afloat. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. No, well, it's, it's. No, I was no, going to say, right. if anything, if anything, we, I don't know, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but if anything, we may be saving too many companies. Like France, at least, you know, maybe five or six years ago, ago was the, the, the country where we had the most zombie startups, which is, you know, start, companies that are just basically walking dead. And if, you're, if your ambition was to become Google, but you became like a web agency, then, you know, that's, that's, that's not really doing anything, yeah. any good to the startup ecosystem, you know? Right, right. hundred percent, hundred percent. Speaking of, of sort of zombie startups, actually, it's nothing related to zombie startups, but <laughs> one, one of the things that's sort of, that was very interesting to me is that European tech companies and US tech companies have roughly the same sort of chance uh, of becoming a unicorn. So they are essentially like one in a hundred companies. So that to me was very, very curious. I, I always thought you, you sort of had more chances of becoming a $1 billion company if you were based in, in the Valley. Oh, I'm surprised to hear that too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There are more than, I'm, I'm just reading right now, there are more than 140,000 startups in Europe, of which over 43,000 uh, have raised at least one round of funding. And from that, I think there are just 74 that have raised more than 250 million. So the funnel looks bleak if you sort of look at it or, or you just get a first impression. But once you sort of 
take a cohort of that, of about a thousand companies, then at least 13 or so end up being unicorns, which is, I think it's pretty good, pretty decent. Yeah, it's pretty good. When I first heard you say that, I'm like, did I get that right? Like, did, did I miss, like, did I listen something? I don't know, did I hear something wrong? But that, that is pretty encouraging. And and there's a lot of room for Europe to grow in the coming years because, you know, we, we are, we haven't still caught up to our, if you, if you take, you know, Europe's share of the of world GDP, you know, we, we are still far behind, you know, in terms of, you know, in relation to, to our share of global GDP and in, in, in yep. our venture capital uh, industry size. Yeah. Yeah. I think sort of Europe is a quarter of the world's GDP, yes. but we only have about 13% of the world's venture capital. So there's, there's still a long, long way to go. I think the U.S., they raised something like 150 billion in total capital this year versus 40 for us. So we're definitely closing that gap, mm-hmm. uh, but there's still a long way to go. So we have a few more minutes. Let's talk takeaways. What's your takeaway of all this? Yeah. Um, the, the last thing that you know I kind of touched upon earlier and didn't, didn't really go in it is the, the policy discussion it's one of the the four key takeaways from the from the report and i found that this interesting number where it says that only 20 percent of founders and investors believe the concerns of startups and scale-ups are being heard by the european policymakers like only 20 percent that is tiny yeah that is very tiny uh and i think well i think it's kind of accurate then like when I see some of the actions that the EU Commission is taking, think all those antitrust suits and stuff like GDPR, that instead of sort of helping younger startups, they build a moat around bigger tech companies. Yep. So in that sense, uh, it f- feels very disconnected. But then you have sort of this new uh, startup, I think it's called the Startup Nation Standard, that it's about how to sort of, they're trying to, come up with the best practices for European tech ecosystems around stock options and immigration and, and funding for startups. So when you see those two things, I'm, I'm, I'm very confused, to be honest. Yeah, it is. There are mixed signals. And there's two things. Like I think one, one of the things I was thinking about earlier last year when, or at, you know, when, when the whole tech backlash started, actually, you know, I was thinking that in Europe, we were quick to jump on that, on that you know, wagon, but we had the tech backlash without having the full tech boom. So it's like, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate, but the, the main thing, like what you're saying is, is something I really agree with that in Europe, we are probably more focused on regulating the the big tech giants and not, you know, creating a, a boon for, for, you know, the, the, the giants of the future coming from Europe. And we're more, more focused on let's not get, let the U S tech giants get bigger here instead of, you know, and, and don't, and then by doing that inadvertently, we're actually regulating the same way, you know, a tiny tech uh, car sharing uh, company in Europe, we're regulating it the same way as, as Uber, or for example, like, a, how do you call it? Like a scooter, a small scooter startup. We're yeah. regulating it the same way as Bird, who has, you know, raised, you know, maybe like a million times more capital. And so, and that, that is kind of one of the challenges that we need to face in, in the chain, in the, in, the, in the heads of policymakers, make them realize, you know, the distinctions between um, startups and scale-ups and tech giants, you know, and how to regulate them differently. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
I think sort of like the, the the mix of tech policy and relation is one of my favorite topics, but it's sort of a very fine line to walk. It's it's very interesting to think about how sort of a group of people just impose rules to an entire ecosystem, and normally they don't have the context to make those rules. But still, I'm not going to turn this into a rant into European policy making. Oh, I would making. love to hear that. Whether <laughs> so we don't have more time, let's do another episode of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think my listeners are going to hate it because uh, that's one of my sort of usual topics, just uh, bitching about the second order consequences of the actions of regulators. <laughs> yeah. One of my takeaways is something I've been sort of, again, complaining about for a while. It seems like uh, I'm a chronicle complainer at this point. But one of the things that I've been saying is that we often think of European tech as VC tech, but there's really a completely sort of separate sort of segment or group of companies that are incredible companies, but they're underreported just because they haven't raised money from uh, like top venture investors or appeared on TechCrunch. So I can think of a million like Fripic or Advinta or Idealista or Visma. There are a million of them. Idealista was on the report, by the way. But yes. Yeah. yeah, It's sort of, it's one of the points in the report, which is like this companies are like this, like private equity and sort of this non-VC backed companies have been a separate island in European tech. And then we had sort of on the other side, like VC backed companies, right? And it's, we're starting to see sort of this, these two islands getting closer and closer together. And I think that's great. Like P, like private equity and, and sort of other funding models are starting to come to European tech with sort of the private, the, the pipe drive deal uh, a couple of weeks ago being the prime example. Vista equity partners took a majority stake in pipe drive. They, I think the valuation was 1.5 billion. New Unicorn in Estonia, but also a bunch of liquidity on the ecosystem. So those two islands are starting to come together for me is fantastic because they actually inject sort of liquidity, both on capital and talent and scale into European capital markets. So that's sort of one of my main uh, takeaways. So I'm doing whatever I can to just make sure that those companies are not underreported. So I know that's one of my, my main takeaways. That's really interesting. And, and it got me to think also, you know, kind of what, what I would love to see more of in the report. I think, you know, again, if we may have missed some stuff because we read it really quickly <laughs> to prepare for this <laughs> podcast. But one thing I've noticed is that, in, for example, in, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, everybody's an angel investor, no matter how yeah. little capital we have. As soon as you can start investing, you, you start it, you start it, right? And, and that's something that in Europe, I don't, I don't see as much. You know, like it's, it's starting, but historically, most of the angel investors have been the people who've done the big exits, you know, who've had, you know, the, the company sold and or, you know, have had, you know, a very significant amount of uh, liquidity. Whereas, you know, like just regular people, startup employees and so on, it's, it's not as common. And, and that is something that I would like to see more integrated into the kind of narrative of the ecosystem. How can we, you know, have more angel investors creating value and, and getting in earlier, you know, than, than the institutional investors? Yeah, 100%, 100%. I'm starting to do some of my own, trying to contribute a bit to the ecosystem, but that's just me, just one sort of lonely uh, Same, night. I mean, I, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 was, I was, you know, victim of that where I realized that 
you know, I hadn't I hadn't done any investments and I thought, you know, I'm not making enough money <laughs> to, to, you know, at the time, this was a couple of years ago. It's like, I'm not making enough money to, to, to invest in startups. And then I realized that some of my colleagues that made less money than me had already made like three or four or five investments. And I was like, what am I doing with my money? You know? So that's when I started to, to build, you know, my tiny portfolio, which is right now, I think about eight companies and, and growing uh, little by little, Same. but you know, that's how you, that's how you start. And then when you have exits, when you have liquidity, you're able to kind of double down on it. So. Yeah. So completely unrelated to the report, but I think we can wrap up with a sort of a call to action to rethink what angel investing means. Yeah. And actually, like maybe let's unblock those barriers. Let's unlock that talent. And it'd be interesting to see more and more people in the European tech ecosystem become angels and start investing investing some of their money into at least their friends, right? One of my rules is always yeah. invest in your friends. Same, because if they if they succeed and you didn't invest, you look stupid. <laughs> That's also a great reason for that. Anyway, like thank you so much, Anika. It's yeah, been a pleasure. And we should do another one soon. Yeah, let's do it. Thank ciao, you, ciao. Ciao. Hey, this is Gons again. If you enjoyed this episode of the CTL podcast, please let me know by leaving an honest review. If you want to get more good stuff from me, subscribe to SeatTable.com. SeatTable is a weekly newsletter on European technology. It goes out every Friday morning and it's read by thousands of founders, investors, and operators. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.